It's time to rock your midlife with Dr. Ellen Albertson. Are you ready to get real, break through, and learn how to make your midlife the best time of your life? Take on those life challenges and turn them into opportunities? Let's rock. Here's Dr. Ellen. Hey, everybody. Dr. Ellen here, the Midlife Whisperer. Welcome to the show. I am so thrilled that you are here today because we have a wonderful show that's really going to help you accentuate the positive and create a bold new chapter. And I just been getting so many reviews. If you're enjoying the show, please do leave me a review on your favorite podcast platform. I wanted to read the latest review from Michelle who writes, I stumbled upon this podcast this week and binged several episodes. I'm 53 and found it refreshing and informative. I want to thank Dr. Ellen for choosing to be of service despite attending to her breast cancer recovery. Your generous spirit will transform lives. So thank you, Michelle, for leaving that. I really appreciate the reviews. And if you leave a review, it also makes it easier for other people to find the podcast. So as I was saying, we're going to talk all about accentuating the positive and creating a bold new chapter. And this is one of my favorite topics because, you know, it gets really under my skin. When people think about midlife, they freak out. There's a stereotype that, you know, you're old and you're decrepit and life is downhill. And in fact, when you Google midlife, it's conjoined with crisis. You cannot Google midlife without getting midlife crisis scenarios. You put it in a thesaurus and what comes up is the wrong side of 40. And I'm here to say that is total BS. And it is time to flip the script about getting older because I'm looking at 60 and I'm super excited. I actually turned 60 this year, which is like, wow. Because when I was little, like 60 was old, right? And I feel amazing. Even with my breast cancer challenge, I feel incredible. And, you know, while our youth oriented society tells us tells us we're washed after 50 and says our best years are behind us. The truth is that chronological age is just a number and a measure of time. And the cool thing is we have doubled human life expectancy over the past century, thanks to sanitation and medical care. And that means that you have an entire second adulthood, like 30, 40 years to look forward to. So today's show, we are going to challenge this concept, the stereotype about getting old, what you've been told. Our first guest, June Hall, is going to provide specific tools and techniques to help you develop a positive mindset. And our second guest, Donna Corin, is going to show you how to become an empty quester after becoming an empty nester. You know, and the bottom line is there is more to do at midlife than playing pickleball. Oh, I haven't tried it yet. It seems like it's fun, but there really is so much out there. And the show is going to provide you with inspiration and information to make the most of it. You know, and this really hit home for me. This week, I was talking to one of my wonderful clients, and she's retired and she said, you know, I am so uncomfortable with aging and the passing of time and changes, you know, I'm having a hard time letting go and missing things from the past. And I know this is affecting my future. And she was really upset. It sort of was triggered by um, her grandchild left early for the day. Mom took her back home and she was feeling like just all of this regret, like where did my 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s go? And, you know, what I said to her is let's like, let's like flip the narrative that you're telling yourself. Well, first of all, you know, it's okay to do some grieving. 
you know, I have my regrets. I have made my mistakes and it's important to do some healing, do some grieving if you are having some of your regrets. But, you know, as one of my favorite writers and philosophers, Karen Mee says is healing comes from gathering wisdom from past action and then letting it go. I'll say that again. Get the wisdom from your past action and then let it go. That beating yourself up, holding it onto it, ruminating it. What that does is that, you know, the rumination, you think you're going to figure it out if you hold on to all of those regrets or chew them over in your head. But the reality of what happens is that it actually keeps you stuck because that's what you are focusing on. And what you focus on is what you amplify in your life. So yes, do the healing. Give yourself some self-compassion because, you know, you're sad that, oh my gosh, I'm 50, 40, 60 already. And where did the time go? But after you have treated yourself like a good friend, given yourself what you needed, it's time to move on and change your mindset. And so what I did with this client is I said, you know, first of all, look at all you have done and accomplished. You have two healthy, wonderful, grown children who are thriving. You have two beautiful grandchildren who are, you are helping raise. You're a teacher and you influence like what, you know, thousands of children in the course of your life. You are healthy. You have a great marriage that's strong. You are wise. And whatever age you are at, you have your whole life ahead of her, ahead of you. And you do too. Like whether you are 40, 50, 60, 70, your whole life is ahead of you. And that life is so rich. And I'm just so much about breaking that stereotype. Because when we look so much in the media and we look at what we you know think middle age, old age is, it's very different. The reality is that the, yes, there is a U-shaped happiness curve. So life satisfaction dips around age 48. That's the bad news. The good news is that then it goes up and you get happier as you go get older. I know my parents are 90 and 92 and they have slowed down quite a bit, but you know what? They've so much to look forward to every single day. They, they have each other, they have their faculties, they are busy doing things, making the most of life. So your mentality is so in so excited to introduce our first guest. She is Dr. June Hall, affectionately known as Dr. June, and she has been an educator and facilitator for over two decades and is a syndicated advice columnist for the Tribune Content Service. When faced with trials that negatively impacted her life, her faith in God taught her to act. APT, accentuate positive thinking. And as a speaker and media personality, she spreads the message of positivity, her lessons of refilling your glass to move forward in your business and personal life has resonated compellingly with small business owners and corporations and individuals who just need to recharge to get back on a positive track. In addition to being a speaker, Dr. June is the host of Cooking Up Advice. I love that where they cook up dish and dish out advice. So I guess she literally cooks dishes and dishes out advice, kind of like uh, Snoop Dogg and Martha Stewart. 
And she's been the keynote speaker with AT&T, Mental Health Association, Care Foundation, the Girl Scouts of America, colleges and churches and more. She's also received the Epic Award and has been a panelist on daytime TV, Black News Channel, Bloom TV, and other talk shows. And she maintains, as long as you still have life, each day offers you an opportunity to do something towards your goal. It's time to APT. It's time to take action. Welcome to Rock Your Midlife, Dr. June. I am thrilled to have you here. Thank you so much. And we call it apt, apting. Apting. Yes. yes. It's like acting, but with a P, apting. <laughs> yeah, I absolutely love that. So let's start right out. So what exactly is apting and how did you come up with the, the concept? Well, acting is accentuate positive thinking, and we call it um, having an aptitious lifestyle, a positive lifestyle, because if, even though things may be going awry, there's always still something good happening. And in our midlife, I like to look at it as a second life. <laughs> you know, you've done whatever, you've gotten your education, you've raised your children. So now it's like, what are you going to do? 60s is the new 40s. What are you going to do with your life now? And so that's the way I like to look at midlife. How this concept came up, I actually had lost. Um, my dad actually saw him take his last breath unexpectedly. Um, he, he lived life to the fullest for sure. He actually, we didn't even know he was sick. He got up, he made dinner that day. He was going to a dinner party and he said, oh, here comes that baby June. And I walked in the door and I said, hi, daddy. And he took his last breath. He lived life up until his very last minute of life. So that was one thing. And then I lost my sister unexpectedly. And that really, really, you know, pulled me down. But as I was going through this thing, I was like this, you know, stress and grief. I realized that, I shouldn't continue to have pity parties because I still had, you know, my mom, I still had my other siblings. There were still great things in my life, my husband. So it's like, am I going to just give away to everything negative or I'm going to look at the positive and still enjoy life? So that is how I came up with that concept to accentuate positive thinking, accentuate what is still happening. That's good. Yeah. Well, I'm sorry for those losses too, but I, I totally get that. Like when I was hit with breast cancer a couple months ago, I was like, I'm sorry, what the heck, what's going on here? Why is this happening to me? But then after you do that initial processing grief, I love what you said. It's not a pity party. Right. And, and self-compassion is very different than pity. Pity is like, woe is me, poor me. This is all terrible. You're just sort of really stuck in this rut of feeling sorry for yourself, where self-compassion is like, okay, this is hard. My dad passed unexpectedly. My sister passed unexpectedly, or I've got a difficult diagnosis, or I'm going through divorce. But then you say, I'm here for me. And now what am I going to do with it? How am I going to pick myself up? You know, as it, whatever doesn't kill you makes you stronger. And I love that this gave birth to something that is so beautiful. Um, and so, um, how do how does this idea of I guess acting um, help with your emotional and mental health? Well, because when you're in that grief stricken stricken state, or like you said, you know, we all have had diagnosis things that have happened, not just death. I mean, it's many things that happen in our lives that are devastating, and so 
how do we cope with that? That's the question. And so that helped me because I started thinking about what else I still had good happening. And then it started getting on people's nerves because it's like, oh, I stubbed my toe. Well, do you still have your toe? It's okay. You know, it's, like, you know, it's like, then I always started looking at the other side. So emotionally, it helped me to be a happier person. I was always happy. Like, you know, my mom said, my siblings said they never saw my mom laugh so much when she was pregnant with me because she wanted me to be happy. <laughs> and so um, that's that was her, you know, her concept because she wasn't expecting to have another child and she had me. So she didn't want me to be upset. She, she wanted to be happy, me to be happy. So typically that was my personality. So it helped me to regain that positive emotional state because I start thinking about when something went wrong, I would always look at, okay, what else is still going right? If Have you ever had one of those days where it's like, it seems like everything's going wrong. It's like, you know, you can't find your keys. You're running late. Oh my gosh, I have to get gas. I'm already running late. You know, whatever you tripped over, you ditched up your toe. And it just seems like there's <laughs> everything keeps going wrong. So I always say, never say what else can go wrong. I always say, you know what? What's good going to happen today? Maybe all these things did happen. So emotionally, you start looking for and mentally you change your state. It makes you stronger and you don't live under stress, which, of course, we know impacts our physical health. So then you start becoming stronger because you start thinking about healthier things wanting to do healthier habits and that strengthens you emotionally and mentally, which impacts also in a positive way, your physical health. Yeah, that is so true. And what I find too, is that when you are stronger mentally, and for me, it really starts with first thing in the morning, doing the gratitude practice, being in prayer, connecting with God, all of those things, you know what? I don't run out of gas. I don't stub my toe. <laughs> you know, it's it's a combination of, you know, starting off with the right vibration, that positivity, slowing down. I find like slowing down, being mindful, doing one thing at a time, noticing how you are feeling through throughout your day. And if you, you know, you get into a habit, right. Of like, and it's not Pollyanna, it's not like everything is great. I mean, you can look at the newspaper and go, wow, the world's kind of a mess, right? But my world, what I have control over um, is going right. Do you find that, that yourself correct. that sort of staying in that? like? Oh, absolutely. Mind? The first thing I do in the morning is say, thank you, God, for allowing me to be alive. And if I start doing something else without giving, you know, myself that that spiritual awareness, then that will cause more things to go awry. In my opinion, that's just my personal opinion, my personal life. So I definitely do that. I do agree that what happens is some people get into this thing. Well, am I supposed to be, you know, happy all the time? It's like, no, 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 that's not what that is all about. Things are happening. It's life. I mean, we get sad. You should cry. It's cathartic. So yes, it's okay to be upset, but on the flip side, you have to also remember that you cannot live in that state or it will impact you negatively, emotionally, and mentally. So yes, the gratitude is very, very important. Many people forget to be thankful for what they have. And I always say it doesn't even have to be a, something big that you have. It could be something that we take for granted, such as being able to have our five senses, you know, something sim as simple as 
is that. And I think that we forget and we take certain things for granted in life. So yes, definitely the gratitude and remembering in the morning to start off with being grateful. Yeah, there's always something to be grateful for. I can find that I just love who I live with. I love where I live. I love my cup of green tea in the morning and that I have the the freedom to take time out. And I think the cool thing too is that, you know, I was writing about this today on Instagram that um, one of the biggest ways we can really make a difference in the world is shifting the way that we are living our life. And if we show up more positively, we're going to impact our kids. We're going to impact our spouse. We're going to impact you know everybody we meet from the person who makes our coffee to our coworkers. And that's going to make a difference in the world. Everybody worked on themselves mm-hmm. and took took the time as you're saying which is so beautiful to stay positive to work on their positive thinking and respected themselves and each other the world would be a very different place i think that we um forget not only to be thankful for what we have i think that we sometimes forget to be kind to others and when we are kind to others and we show compassion or thankful that also helps us volunteering helping someone who's in trouble that helps us as well and lift up our spirits can I tell you a quick story about so I when I worked at the college there was a young man he worked at a coffee shop and there's these certain little cookies that I like so he would bring them to me periodically and I was like oh my god thank you so much you're so sweet so someone said to me why are you so excited? He gets those for free. He works there. And I said, guess what? He works there. He gets them for free. Does he have to use his free items on me? No. He chose because he said, oh, Dr. June likes these. Let me bring them to her. The mere fact that someone thinks about you is enough for you to be appreciative and be grateful and be kind to that other person. And then you can get that kindness back. I said, think about that. How are you feeling? How happy are you most days? What attitude do you have most days? What are you putting out? So if you're putting out that positive, that gratefulness, then you will get it back. And that will help you also feel better. Yeah. Kindness. That's my story. Yeah, that's end. a beautiful story. I know that's it does. It makes you feel good when people do this sort of random acts of kindness, both the giver and the receiver. And this isn't just woo. I love being a psychologist because the more you study this stuff, the more you realize that there is a lot of research around kindness, around gratitude, even things that uh, Barbara Fredrickson has done some great studies showing that loving kindness meditation where you think of a person in your life and you say, may you be safe, may you be happy, may you be healthy, may you be at ease. You keep the list going, you know, for, for just five, 10 minutes and then, you know, roll yourself in that too. You're actually healthier and happier. Your brain shifts. We have this thing called neuroplasticity where we can actually change the structure of our brains to be happier, more positive, to function at a higher level of well-being, which is so key at midlife because midlife women have the highest level of depression for any group yes. according to age and gender. Um, so if someone's listening and this is this all sounds really nice, but do you have any other specific tips to live more positively and also how you can use your technique of um acting as part of self-care? Well, the technique that I tell the people that I work with is to actually write it down, put it in a jar. And then when you are feeling like you are down, go to that jar, 
and pull out something that is positive that has happened in your life, things that are still good. Because we forget when we're in our downward spiral, we forget. But if we write it down, put it in a jar and just have it when we're ready. The other thing that I invite people to do is attitude-based or loom. You sitting on your desk and you love me by that. I don't have the demonstration, but I usually have a demonstration of it. But you can have a vase. You will have notes all over the vase of something positive, something good. And then you look at it while it's sitting on your desk and you can turn it around. And then it's like, oh, it's right there in your face. So a visual is always good. I also say do a mental health vision board. We do vision boards for <laughs> we do vision boards for business, right? And things that we want. Oh, you know what? I'm hoping that I get this particular job or I'm saving up to get this car, whatever it is that we put on our vision board. But we should also have a mental health vision board. Things that we need to do to improve our well being. Like, for example, uh, my vision board is full of colors because bright and light is also very good to stimulate the brain. And then I may have on, I have on there like walking because I definitely need to walk more. Walking 20 minutes a day, you know this, Dr. Ellen, helps ward off degenerative brain disorders. So having on there, I have on my mental health vision board walking to strengthen my mental health. I have on there right with an X because my doctor told me to stop eating so much rice. <laughs> and so, but on the mental health vision board, things that you, what is it that you want to achieve that helps you be healthier and happier in your life? And you put that on your vision board so that you can see that, not just things that you want, you know, uh, business-wise or to progress that way, but things that you want to progress to help you be happier. Another thing, I'm, just, I'm sorry, I, I don't want to have time, but another thing that I want to share is that we need to do something each day that does make us happy. Take It doesn't even have to be an hour. It can be two or three minutes a day. Take a minute and listen to a song that cheers you up. The next day, Maybe have a piece of dark chocolate. If that's something that you like. The next day, do something else that makes you happy. Every day, because we forget, what is it that makes us happy? What's the joy in our life? We need to do that every day just for a minute or two or three, you know, five minutes. It doesn't, like I said, have to be all day or an hour. Or an hour. And once a week, spend time and talk to someone that makes us happy. Spend time with that person as well. Wow. So many amazing nuggets. I love, first of all, the jar. I see people do this a lot at the beginning of the new year. And I guess what I love about all your tips, which I'll review in a moment is they're so actionable. There are specific things that you can do that are going to improve your mental, your physical health, your well-being, your happiness. So the jar idea is great to put in like one good thing that happens. And then when you're feeling down to pull it out, I like to personally, every day, I write down three things I'm grateful for. I write down three things that would make the day terrific. And then I write down an affirmation and affirmations are super powerful. As long as the affirmation rings true to you, you don't want to say like, I'm going to make a million dollars today. If, it, if you know, that's not a reality of what your life is going to be. But if you're going to say, you know, today I am working on my health and well-being and my fitness. I also love post-it notes. So taking colorful post-it notes and like putting them on your mirror to remind you to smile, to take a breath, to be kind to yourself, your mirror, your car, your refrigerator, um, that's super powerful. And I love this idea of um, like mini self-care rituals that you were saying, like 
you don't need to go to a spa and spend hundreds of dollars and a day to do self-care. Like playing music is powerful. The research shows that playing music will shift your vibration. If you are playing a song that really, and especially if you get up and you dance to it, you move around, exercising, all of these things really will make a difference, but you have to remember to do them. So I would say, yeah, write out goals for you. I love the idea of writing out all the things on your mental health vision board that you can do for your well being. And maybe even, um, I always tell people, like if on your calendar, give yourself a smiley face every time you do one of them. And when you've collected, you know, 10 smiley faces, then reward yourself with, you know, a dinner out or going to the movies or, you know, an hour doing an activity that you love. So it just, it builds and it grows. So is it healthy to remain positive all the time? And the answer is no. I, I actually don't think it's realistic. <laughs> That's just, you know, who's happy all the time. I don't think it would have been realistic for me to be positive and happy when I lost, you know, my family members, that's something that people that I love and that made me sad. And so you have different levels of emotions. And so when we think about being positive, it's like, no, it's not like 24 seven, everything is going to be great. Or you're going to be thinking that everything's great. But the whole point is to come out of it in a positive way and to cope with it in a positive way. And so <laughs> another funny story, when I taught some psychology at the college, we have this lesson on stress reduction. And so we were, we, we would have to come up with, well, the students would have to come up with activities on ways to cope and reduce stress. And they would have to do it for a certain amount of days and keep a log on how it helped. And so it's well, the reason I'm laughing is when I say positive and healthy ways to cope, because they would be like, um, so that means that we can't use like, you know, like smoking or drinking. <laughs> it was just a funny thing. I'll, every time somebody would ask me that. But so that's why I say when I say coping, doing it in a positive and healthy way. And that is what apting is all about. Yeah. It's not being 100 percent every day, 24 hour seven. Yeah, I'm, we're human. And I like to not think of positive or negative emotions, but all emotions are helpful. There are yes. negative emotions. There are different emotions. And then there are, you know, emotions. We all want more joy and happiness exactly. and gratitude and things, but you know, all of your emotions are there to provide you with information. We learn by contrast. And if we don't process our emotions, what ends up happening is we end up getting depressed. We depress everything. And we also shorten kind of our bandwidth on the joy too. I know when I had clinical depression and was taking um, selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, so I was taking SSRIs for it many, many moons ago, um, I didn't feel a lot of joy either. And now that I've learned how to reshape my brain and deal with all of my emotions, I have such a larger bandwidth for everything. So thank you for all of these amazing gems, Dr. Hall. Um, incredible stuff. We are going to take a short break. And then when we come back, we are going to be talking with Dr. Corin, who is, I'm sorry, Donna Corin, who is a speaker, writer, and facilitator um, to people 50 plus, and she is going to talk to us all about empty questing. So stay tuned. You're listening to Rock Your Midlife. We'll be back after a short break.
Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Midlife can be challenging. You may be sandwiched between growing kids and aging parents, dealing with menopause, and trying to find work-life balance. Or maybe your life looks good on the outside, but inside you're feeling stressed and overwhelmed and wondering how to get your confidence and joy back. You need someone to help you get real, discover who you are, and navigate life. Hi, I'm Dr. Ellen, the Midlife Whisperer, and I'm here to help. I've worked with hundreds of midlife women, went from surviving to thriving at midlife myself, and literally wrote the book on this pivotal time period, Rock Your Midlife, Seven Steps to Transform Yourself and Make Your Next Chapter Your Best Chapter. Think of me as the one-stop shop for all your midlife needs. I'm a psychologist, nutritionist, and board-certified health and wellness coach with 30 years of experience empowering midlife women. I provide nutrition consults, life coaching, and free resources to help you transform your body, your mind, your career, and your relationships. Feeling stuck? I can help you figure out how to live authentically with joy, passion, and purpose. Every Wednesday here on Voice America, live from 2 to 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, I share my passion for making the most of midlife and my expertise on the most pressing midlife issues from changing family relationships, managing stress, and securing enough resources to rediscovering yourself. I also interview experts from around the world to help you navigate your life. For more information, please visit my website, themidlifewhisperer.com, for fabulous resources, including my free gift, 10 Tips to Rock Your Midlife. That's themidlifewhisperer.com. Hope to see you there soon. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. You are listening to Rock Your Midlife with Dr. Ellen, the Midlife Whisperer. Have a question for Dr. Ellen or her guests? Join us on the show at 866-472-5788. That's 866-472-5788. Now, back to the show. Here again is Dr. Ellen, the Midlife Whisperer. Welcome back to Rock Your Midlife. Thank you so much for listening. Again, please leave me a review. Let me know what you think about the show and the kind of guests you want to hear. And if you want to connect with me, just go out to themidlifewhisperer.com. That's themidlifewhisperer.com. And before the break, we were talking all about staying positive, working on your mental health, self-care, all kinds of wonderful, wonderful nuggets that are going to have a positive impact on your midlife. And now I'd like to introduce our next guest. She is Donna Corin. She is a speaker, writer, and facilitator on topics relevant to the 50 plus audience. Through her live cohort workshop, she helps people in this demographic to envision and activate their goals for the second half of their lives. In 2019, she gave a TEDx talk in Manhattan called The Newest Workforce Disruptors Are Over 50. I listened to it. It's awesome. Where she highlighted the opportunities availed to this growing segment of the population. She implored younger generations and the media to recognize the enormous influence and spending power of the sector. Donna spent over 25 years in publishing and advertising sales at 
at Vogue, Time, Parenting, and Elements, a regional lifestyle magazine she co-founded for the Gold Coast of Long Island. And then she created Empty Quester. I just love that name. A platform for empty nesters on a quest for their bold next chapter. It includes a blog and video series, and she is often a guest on other podcasts on the topic of reinvention. Welcome to Rock Your Midlife, Donna. So awesome to have you here. Thank you, Dr. Ellen. I'm so happy to be here. And Dr. June, I was just absorbing every word you said. You are just an absolute palpable um, you know, vessel of joy. And I, I had a question for you, which is, you know, clearly you empower and help so many people to uh, figure out how to live this, how to be an after. And I guess my question is, you know, is there someone that you turn to, you know, in a tough time that helps you to elevate your game? Yes. I actually talked to my husband and to <laughs> my husband said he's um, an answer. And he accentuates negative thinking. <laughs> that's a joke between us. I'm the after he's the answer. But seriously, um, he actually also, like myself, has a degree in counseling. <laughs> so um, I actually talked to him. My mother, God rest her soul, she was absolutely the best um, in talking to about things that happened because she had many things that happened in her life from the age of eight, losing her mother and just going through different things in life that happened to her. And she still was able to move forward and be successful and do things personally and professionally that were astounding. And so I would talk to these people, my mom and my husband, when I'm feeling, you know, in a certain way, feeling down. My husband says, I don't do depression well. So, so I guess I have to um, not go into that state of mind since I'm not good at it. <laughs> yeah, that's so important too. I know I know talking it out, journaling and also talking it out. I am so blessed to have an amazing man in my life who will he doesn't want to change me, right? We have these people in our lives, my, you know, who just are like, I am here as a container to listen compassionately. So that's the greatest. I think we all do need each other. So let's dive into empty questing. It's so important. I was listening to your talk and I was thinking, gosh, we have this thing called the great resignation now where everyone is like quitting their jobs and going and playing pickleball where people have so much talent and ability. And we also have, you know, this phenomenon, particularly more, I think, in the UK, and we have listeners all over the globe, where women are going through menopause and they're like, I cannot cope with my work situation right now. You know, I'm having an incident. I didn't sleep well. You know, I've got brain fog and I, they're quitting well. And it's just a tremendous loss of resources. Can you like address that a little bit? And what do we do that the, the fact, um, Donna, that we are losing so many talented people to the workforce? Well, I see it a little bit differently because um, since COVID, strangely, um, while there's been a great resignation, there's also been the creation of new opportunities, especially for people who are 55 plus. And when you think about the, the workforce now, 37% of the workforce is comprised of people who are 55 and older. And um, by 2030, actually one in four people are gonna be 55 years old in the, in the area of essential workers, the most important workers. And the resignation that's happened um, has actually created jobs and created a need for more people who are older to re-enter the workforce. And seeing that there are 
uh, jobs that need to be filled that with the right employers can be filled by people who are older. And the reality is because of all the wellness trends and the medical breakthroughs, we're going to be living longer. So it's not even a matter that we want to work to continue to be vibrant and purposeful and engaged. We, we likely will have to work. And so the, the, the silver lining or the positive lining is that society is going to have to uh, dip into the talent pool in a different way than it might have in the past. And it's going to have to warm more people who are in the older, uh, older demographic. Which really is what your talk is, is about, your TED Talk, which if people aren't, uh, people want to listen, it's called The Newest Workforce Disruptors Are Over 50. So how did you come up with the idea for that TED Talk? Well, it's interesting. Years back, I thought it would be really great to give a TED Talk. I watch them, I follow them, and I read Chris Anderson's book about giving one. And he said, you really have to come up with a new idea. And at the time, I was a young mom, and I thought I'd like to speak about parenting, but it's such a fallible profession, parenting. I thought there's no expertise. Nobody has any expertise in that. And so I waited. And then um, I guess when my youngest child went off to college, I um, I felt elevated. I you know of course you feel a little sad and a, you know a little um, bittersweet when the children leave the nest. But I guess my mindset was this is an amazing opportunity for me to recalibrate and think about what I want this next very long chapter to look like because it's a really long chapter. Um, my father was a lawyer. He was still practicing at ninety. My mom working in her 80s. And so in the household I was raised in, you know, vibrancy and engagement were really, it's just, it was a given. And uh, so I thought about, and I started to research, you know, what are the opportunities for people 50 and older? And I was really surprised and ecstatic to see that there were many. And at that point I thought, okay, there's a new idea. You know, uh, what's happening in the workforce is that there's disruption. And, um, and that was what I pitched to a group of uh, young people who were all younger than 30. <laughs> and they asked me, are you going to do a talk on a lament on ageism? And I was like, no, hell no. I'm going to talk about, you know, I'm going to talk about the solutions. I'm going to talk about the tips. And uh, I was very lucky and fortunate that they said, all right, let's, let's hear what you have. So. Oh, that's a great story. I'm, I'm, toying with the idea right now. And I've have that book and it's awesome. And listen to lots of talks. So I'll have to maybe connect with you later on to, to do some brainstorming about TED Talks because it's hard to come up with something that is really revolutionary and really a new idea that is spreading. So speaking of new ideas worth spreading, how and why did you create Empty Quester? And I love, would love to know how, when that idea came to you. Like my, the idea of the Midlife Whisper, I literally was at a conference and I hit like, the Midlife Whisper. Like, that's what I do. And I was shocked that nobody had the moniker and I got the trademark. But how did you <laughs> come up with Empty Quester and what did you create? Because it's a fantastic name. So full disclosure, so I have two daughters. They're in their 20s at the time. They were in their, um, you know, in their teens. And um, I, I was on a tear and um, I come from a background of publishing, as you said. And, and I thought this is an amazing demographic. It's an amazing audience. I didn't even know how amazing it was until I started to explore it. And I told my kids, oh, empty nester, every image that out there of an empty nester is just, it's incongruous to me because, you know, they're, they're pulling images media is pulling images of like 80 year olds and calling us empty nesters. And it's like, wait, no, no, no. I, that's like 30 years from now. That's the wrong image. And so I told my kids, no, I'm an empty, I'm an empty zester. I'm an empty zester. And then my little one just looked at me and she was like, uh, no, mom, you're an empty quester. And so the name was born. And I really believe that, um, 
when when we're availed this time and when we're in this new chapter, we are certainly on a quest for, you know, what our next chapter is going to look because um, humorously enough, you know, when you're children and when they leave the house, they really leave. They don't linger. You know, once they've gotten the, the runway to go, you're probably thinking, oh, I have a lot more to do here. And um, they make it pretty clear, pretty fast. Like, oh, I've bounced. And um, I, I'm a big proponent of getting busy and figuring what your lane's going to look like, what your life is going to look like. Uh, and Lord, because you're, uh, if you do have children, they want you to do that. They need to know you're okay. And you've got this and you've got something that you're passionate about. It just, it makes it uh, much nicer in your adult, in your relationship with your adult children. That is so true. Although some do come back, but I, uh, my oldest lives in Europe and she is a sex educator. And my son is at Northeastern in Boston. So they are, they don't think too much about mom. They're doing their own thing, which is as it should be. And it is very exciting. I think it's such a contrast to when, you know, when we left, my mom, when my my oldest brother left, she was just devastated. She didn't know what to do with herself because so much of our identity is wrapped up in parenting, whereas we still have a lot of identity wrapped up in parenting, but we have so many more opportunities and things that we can do. So um, what do you see as the most important first step to take in this empty nest life stage? So if a woman's looking and going, oh my gosh, I know a lot of people I work with are saying, oh my gosh, my, you know, either my kids are already left. I get a lot of people sort of in their late fifties, early sixties, but then I also get people looking at 50, early fifties who are saying, I've got, you know, a senior or a junior. I have like my closest friends got twin, twin juniors right now. Well, how do you start? Right. I would actually um, say that you should start even earlier. You know, you should start preparing yourself for this, um, you know, this next life stage even earlier, maybe when your kids are still in junior high or high school. And the language that I use is you really want to find your own lane because, um, Dr. Ellen, even if they, like you say, they come back and of course they come back, you know, your children are always connected to you, but metaphorically, they're about to, you know, head out on a journey that's very much their own. So when I work with people in my workshops, I'm taking um, women and men way back to uh, a place inside of themselves that they're going to reignite because very often we put things to the side when we're, you know, in our parenting years. And so through vision boarding and other exercises, I uh, have people start to really hark back and think about what enlivened them or enlightened them or sparked them when they were younger. And to really do a very deep reflection across all sorts of different categories, whether it's relationships or whether it's work or whether it's creative or play or um, all the different areas of their life to uh, think about what a spark might be to create their own lane. And what I like to say is if you don't start to have your own lane, and for those of you that think that you're going to still be in your kid's lane, you know, you're going to derail really quick. So it's really about finding, and it can be anything, you know, it doesn't mean you have to, if you want, the good news is if you want to reinvent a career, there are ample opportunities. There's so many companies now that have what are called returnships. These are major global companies that are uh, creating an opportunity for people to come back to work full time. But even if that's not what you're, you know, even if that's not your spark, even if it's floral design or it's wines or it's um, coaching or it's related to music, it's taking a time, taking time to really think about what lights you up and to start to plot out and plan out 
how you can build around that through your networks, through your relationships, through your um, through through your own journaling, starting to get yourself to a place where you're really feeling, wow, that's something I would like to pursue. So the first step is really um, developing a lane, any lane that feels that it resonates as something you'd like to get started doing outside of your parenting years. I love that you're saying do what lights you up because that harkens back to what Dr. June was saying and it about, again, your vibration, your energy. If you are doing what you love, then you are going to want to do more and more of it. You're going to feel positive. You're going to feel energized. It's going to open doors. It's going to lead to opportunities, but you've, you got to put your foot on the gas. You can't just sit there and think that like lightning is going to strike and all of a sudden someone's going to call you and something's going to happen. I love having people think about what did you love to do when you were a kid, like when you were in kindergarten? when you looked at adults and you thought, wow, I want to be a dancer when I grow up. Or for me, it was, you know, I want to be a writer when I grow up, or I want to, you know, be an EMT. I actually have a friend who is a doctor and she has retired and she's going to be an EMT, which is great because I live on an island and we need a better, we need lots of good people on the rescue team because it's all volunteer. But like thinking about that, of what is really going to spark you, bring you joy, doing it from that positive place, which is a beautiful, beautiful thing. And I'm curious, why do you call yourself a facilitator, not a coach in terms of the work that you're doing? Well, because I feel that a coach is a very specific skill. And I think that's such a great question, Ellen, because it fits in with what I encourage people who take my workshop to do. Very often, if you tackle something like I'm going to become a coach, you know, and if you want to do it well, you're going to get training, you're going to get certification, you're going to need lots of hours of practice. Um, And that could deter somebody, you know, it feels like it's a long way away. So I call myself a facilitator because I am a facilitator. You know, I haven't gone through formal coaching to uh, coach others in their long journey. There are so many talented people who I could refer to for that. But what I feel that I am is that first spark, that first step, the, um, the persuader, the inspirer of that step, because it doesn't have to be as daunting as many people think. The journey doesn't have to be, I'm going to write that book. I'm going to be on that show. I'm going to be a full-fledged coach. It can be a small step that lights you up, which eventually might lead me, you know, to doing those other things or lead the people that I uh, teach to do other things. But it's, um, I call myself a facilitator because that's my joy, gathering people together, helping build their confidence, um, telling them the good news about this life stage, and then helping them plant the seeds to get started. So for people who are listening and not really sure how to start, or I, I find a lot of people are afraid, they're you know fearful that they're going to, they're afraid of failure and success. And of course, we're all afraid of change. Can you give some examples of small steps? Like you're saying, it's not like you have to wake up and say, I'm going to write that book, or I'm going to you know conduct that orchestra, or I'm going to, oh, I don't know, become that coach, which again is an investment of time and money, and you might not be sure. What are examples of small steps that you've seen people take that have led to the, the empty uh, nester quest? The, the quester. So the quester, I, yeah. I think the best way for me to do it is really share my own journey since I've been questing for the last five years. And I think the first thing is um, community is important and sharing your ideas, not just keeping them locked away. And it's an amazing, beautiful thing. We kind of talked about it with Dr. June, that when you start to express that little voice in you, uh, something that you want to do, it's amazing how many people will lean in 
and encourage you to take that further. So years ago, when I thought, you know, I used to love to write, I, I would like to write again. And I started to sort of state that and share that in a quiet way. I found that the universe actually sent me lots of people who would help and people who had ideas and said, oh, you want to write an article? These are the three steps that you might take. And so I, I share that in my workshops. If somebody wants to get published, there are small steps that you can take. Sometimes it starts with a Google search, just figuring out who takes submissions. And uh, shockingly, within the first time that I did that, I ended up in the Washington Post. You know, the first time I put pen to paper and I did my Google search and other people said, just do it as a Google search and see who accepts blind uh, submissions. And that was a first step, a shocking first step. So um, when you say some of the steps that you take, let your idea germinate an idea, share it with people around you who want to see you succeed and start to ask questions, you know, see who in your network and in your world is um, willing to, you know, step in and maybe introduce you to somebody. If you wanna be a floral designer, go to your uh, local florist shop and see if you can volunteer two days a week and just you know sit on a stool and watch how somebody does floral design. If you wanna do photography, you know, don't feel that you have to get from A to Z, you know, go, uh, go, go take a class at your local community college and you know, start to take footage and, and see where it takes you. You'll be, I, I have found in my journey that I'm shocked at how much great energy has come towards me as long as I staked my claim and said, I'm writing, I'm speaking, I'm facilitating. Somehow the energy of the universe said, go girl, go. And that's what, that's the energy that I like to bring in my workshops. I love that. Go girl, go. And I find it's so important to let go of the judgment and the perfection. I find that at midlife, learning a new skill is tough. Like I am learning to play the ukulele. And I'm, you know, and I'm having fun with it and I'm enjoying it. I'm trying to learn how to draw, but I never learned how to draw as a child because my sister is an incredibly accomplished artist. So she's older and she would always draw things for me. So I, I bring in a little judgment, like, but once I sort of, you know, get the sketchbook out and I'm doing it, I really get mindful of it into it. And the same thing with the ukulele, once I start, you know, playing it and singing it and it's really fun. And you'll find as you do these things that, there is as if it came from like a previous lifetime, there's things that you are naturally good at that you would do all day long. And that's really what we're talking about here and not to focus on how good am I judging yourself, the perfection, any hints on just getting rid of all of the, that crap, which can stop you dead in your tracks. It says, you know what? I suck at this. I'm, I'm 60 and I suck. Why am I doing this instead of, wow, okay, well, I just learned a chord today and I'm enjoying myself and it's fun and who's, who knows where this will lead. Well, can we talk about that for a moment? Because when you're 13 and you suck at something, you know, you're devastated. In your 20s, you feel like, oh, this is the end of the world. But oh, my God, isn't it true? By the time you reach your 50s or your 60s, don't you love yourself enough to say, ha, I suck at it. And then you do the things because we have wisdom and life experience to just get better at it. And so I, I think it's about infusing the conversation with joy, which Dr. June, Dr. Ellen, you both do, infusing it with joy, getting buy-in, having fun, laughing at yourself, not taking it so seriously. And from those, from that energy, just amazing things, you know, happen. I have a very dear friend who started to sketch and her work is outrageous. It just spilled out of her. We never knew she had it. And she just kept sharing with her girlfriend group, look at this, look at that. And today she's an amazing, amazing artist. And that was her second career. Who knew? You know, just from putting the pen to the paper with some joy and intention and and welling the doubt, just squashing the doubt. Your positivity is infectious. I want to like, you know, 
bottle you and just like, can we take you out of the genie bottle and just say, okay, let's get Donna here. To, it's, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. I know I've been following you a little bit on Instagram too, where you are sharing and that positivity. But as you know, you ask Dr. June, it is important to, to get some help to surround yourself with other people. So you see this is a common humanity. I'm not alone in this. I'm not the only one who says, oh my gosh, I am 50 and I have 50 more years ahead of me. And I just took early retirement, but I want to do something. Like I have a friend who, um, somebody who, who sells sweaters at our farmer's market. She was like in the Peace Corps for years and doing work all overseas. And she makes these amazing sweaters with, they're actually, um, she works with her son and they're electronically spun, but they're made with all like organic materials from Vermont, like from our island. And then there's another woman who's making like amazing jewelry and selling it at the farmer's market. And you know, maybe you make incredible jams and muffins and who knows where all of this can lead. So I guess the point is to just to start and have fun and stay in that place of positivity and joy rather in this place of, I don't know what to do with myself. I've seen too many people just, just like watch TV all day and not live their full potential. So let's talk a little bit about how we can kind of change the conversation on a broader level. I know you're, you come from this background of advertising and media. What can we do individually and collectively so that we don't have this, you know, we have less of this issue so that people of our demographic see themselves and say like, wow, look how vibrant we are. Right. Well, that's a big challenge because it's like, I think there's a Woody Allen joke, like, you know, who wants to be a member of a club that would accept me as a member or something like that. You know, we're, we here, the three of us are preaching to the choir because we understand the collective energy. Of course, what incenses me to no end is that we, uh, people 50 and older are responsible for 70% of all um, consumer purchasing. And when you look at advertising directed to this demographic with images that, you know, reflect what we are like, there's maybe 10% of ads are like that. And so we can't really boycott, right? We can't boycott the brands that don't reflect who we are, but we can uh, join the conversation. And there are many of them on social media about, you know, the vibrancy of this consumer. And part of my goal in the next uh, year is to start to reach out to brands and advertisers and have them change their imagery so that they have an accurate representation of a market that they're, you know, trying to, you know, to have us buy from. So, um, and the other piece of it, I'd say is intergenerational. Spend time with people who are younger than you in business settings, in uh, spiritual settings, and wherever you are, engage to the greatest extent that you can with a younger generation um, because they'll listen to you and they will um, take an interest. And if you tell them it really bugs us that we're misrepresented, um, they're the ones who are actually, um, you know, uh, possibly in a position to help make those changes. Yeah, I think ageism has to be like, whether it's racism, sexism, all of those things that everybody needs to see the divinity of themselves and everybody and that we are all equal. So we only have about two minutes left, but I want to give Dr. June an opportunity to ask you a question. Dr. June, do you have a question for Donna? Um, yes, Donna, I wanted to ask, do you see a difference between women who are no longer married and are empty nesters who are who you are making questions, which I love, by the way, and those who are married? Hmm. It's a great question. I don't know if I can um, draw a huge distinction because people who are lit up and want to go for it come in all different, you know, packages. 
Um, I would say that there is definitely a reality of somebody who is a single person who, you know, uh, might have a financial need to continue or definitely has a financial need to continue to be in the workforce, doesn't have the offset of a partner's income to help them, that they are very, very intentional, certainly in the area of work, you know, of making sure that they have opportunities and staying vibrant in the work world. Oh, that makes perfect sense. I love it. I see pros and cons because I work with women who are single and I work with women who aren't. And I think I agree with you, Donna, that when you have the two incomes and also, as we talked about earlier, when you have that kind of support, like I have a man now who just totally supports, you know, this chapter that I'm in. But on the flip side, you know, it also can hold you back. A lot of times I see women who are on their own, as you said, they have the incentive to make, you know, make money, make things happen. And then they also don't have someone who could potentially hold them back and say, you know, I don't want you traveling all the time. I don't want you doing these things. So I think it's all about um, getting that support and doing what, you know, what is right for you. But it's interesting if there, there is any, it'd be interesting thing to drill down. And if it makes a difference if people are single or not single, I think part of it's too, is are you single by choice? Are you single because you won't really want to be and you love it and you're energized and you love your life? Or is this something that, you know, you want to, you want to change that you're focusing on. So thank you both so much for your wisdom, your inspiration, and just your incredible energy real quickly, Dr. June, how can people find you? drjunehall.com easy drjunehall.com if you want to know more about her workshops and apting and donna how can people find you emptyquester.com oh easy emptyquester.com well do check them both out thank you all so much for listening again leave me a review connect with me at the midlifewhisper.com i would love to know more about you and the types of guests and information you would like me to cover on the show have a great week and we'll catch you on the next episode Thanks for listening to Rock Your Midlife. We hope this episode has helped you get real, discover who you are, and get the tools to navigate your life. Until we talk again, have a fantastic week and go rock your midlife.